Please, no flash photography during the performance. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Doug Birch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So today's show is going to be a little bit controversial, or at least controversial to some. I want to talk about the real reason the church is declining, church attendance is declining, church membership is declining. What is it all about? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not about bad pastors and bad churches and bad theology, although there's a lot of that out there. It's something bigger and deeper, a trend that's not going to go away even if the church becomes incredibly healthy. I'll talk about this trend on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Show. I am your host, Dr. Doug Birch. I pastor a small or normal sized congregation in the Puget Sound region, and I'm so glad to be with you for today's show. Last week's show was a little controversial uh, in that I talked about theology that tends to be used, or dysfunctional theology that tends to be used by narcissistic pastors and narcissistic leaders. I looked at how Calvinism and uh, Arminianism and charismatic Pentecostal theology can be used to keep people who are troubled or downright dangerous pastors in positions of power. So you can check that out. And so I thought, you know, why not just do uh, two weeks in a row of somewhat controversial topics? Uh, Here's another important one for me, and I just want to get into it. Um, I want to talk about the decline of the American church. Now, uh, first, I want to look at the narrative of church decline. The narrative of church decline in our popular culture is pretty much one-sided. There are lots of books, lots of posts, lots of articles about why people are leaving the church. And I've just noticed this. Seldom do articles or posts or books really talk about two sides of the equation. For instance, they don't have, you know, half the article is about people who left the church, and the other half is from people who stayed in the church or from the perspective of pastors. For the most part, it's very much geared towards people who've left the church, are thinking about leaving the church, or who no longer see the church as important to their life. And there's one main reason for this is because uh, that is a money-making industry. A church hate, church dislike, church displeasure is a growing industry. As uh, church attendance declines, uh, what's going to be your biggest audience? Well, your biggest audience are going to be people who no longer go to church. And what I found with books in general, people like books that confirm what they already believe or validate the convictions they've had. So uh, that narrative of the church declining, and here's the primary narrative that you see. The narrative is this. People are no longer going to church. Uh, I'll just throw out a few here. Uh, For instance, why millennials or zennials or whatever generation we want to name the next generation, whether they want to be named that or not, why younger people are no longer going to church. We call them nuns, people who have no affiliation. Might call themselves Christians, but don't affiliate themselves with any group. 
there's lots of reasons we give to that. Uh, one of the reasons is church abuse. And, and by the way, all these are legitimate reasons. I'm not saying that there's not terrible pastors, there's not terrible theology, there's not terrible preaching, but this will be the primary reason that is given. And what's implied in this reason is if this was different, people would be going to church. So, for instance, one of the arguments is there's lots of church abuse. Uh, narcissistic pastors who are not uh, responsible to anyone, uh, their narcissism is expressed in all sorts of ways. They're controlling, they are bullies, or maybe they're even getting away with very immoral, unethical things. By the way, bullying is unethical, but uh, they're getting away with abusive behavior, uh, sexual harassment, uh, you, you know the stories, right? Terrible stories of pastors doing terrible things, churches covering up those terrible things. And so many of the posts say this, the reason people are fed up with the church, you'll see this, you know, I'm almost through with Christianity, through with the church, is they'll point to something that is truly terrible. And so the argument is, if we clean house, you know, if we get better pastors and better churches and better ways of handling abuse or narcissism, then people are going to go back to the church. Um, that's just one area. You can also see this for relevance. The church is no longer relevant, uh, talking about things that are important to our culture. If the church was just more relevant, we would attend. Uh, the church isn't dealing with racial injustices. And again, I think these are legitimate critiques of the church. So hear me, I'm not saying that these critiques aren't valid or aren't even important. They're incredibly important. I think the church should deal with abuse. And if you followed anything I teach and talk about, and even in my writings, I believe this is incredibly important, and that anybody should flee a church that is abusive and not support such a church and speak against a church or a pastor or an institution that codifies, celebrates, hides, defends uh, abusive behavior. But another area you might find is that the church is not relevant to racial issues, so I, we no longer go because of that, or the church is no longer relevant to justice issues. And if it was about justice, then I would go, oh, you know, the church just wants your money, and if they didn't want our money, then I would be a part of a community. Or they just don't reach out enough. They're, if people reached out to me, if they were more friendly, if they were more loving, and the lists go on and on and on. So the argument is, if these things change, then the church will grow. But as long as these things exist, the church is declining. Now, I do not really believe this is the real issue for church decline. I think there are much bigger cultural and technological issues that are leading to this trend. But it reminds me of a similar way of explaining a trend that I see when it comes to weight loss. You see across the world that people are getting fatter, they're getting larger, we're putting on weight. Americans are putting on weight around the world. People are putting on weight. And so there's been this trend of people getting heavier. At the same time, there's been a correlation of a trend of more and more books, um, posts, experts, channels, blogs, websites, systems, strategies, experts on how to lose weight. So the lose weight industry has grown in proportion to Americans growing in size and girth. So what we've found is that the growth in this industry of uh, 
foods that we're supposed to eat, uh, workouts we're supposed to do, equipment we're supposed to use. As that industry has been growing, uh, weight gain has not been declining. There's been no correlation between a greater amount of resources and books and experts on weight loss when it comes to actual weight loss. People are just getting bigger. And the more people who get big and the more people who struggle with weight issues, I'm one of those, um, the more there's going to be resources out there to help you lose weight or to help you deal with your weight. So some people have said uh, one of the problems of this is we're focusing in on the wrong things. There's general trends that are causing everyone to gain weight. And the general trends aren't that everyone is less disciplined. And that's one of the things that you'll often see. You know, the issue is we're more sedentary, which is true. People are more sedentary. So there'll be a campaign. We need to work out more. And if we can get everyone working out more, if we can get kids walking more, exercising more, then we will deal with weight gain. Well, that seems logical. And it is true that we are sedentary and it would be good for us to walk more. It'd be good for us to exercise more. But here's the deal. That doesn't actually solve the bigger problem. Even if everyone starts working out more and exercising more, there's another issue on why we are all getting heavier. And a lot of people look at the issue as just what our food is fortified with. Across the board, uh, in every nation, in every country, we are using certain sweeteners and sugars and such to sweeten our food that is causing a general weight gain across the board. It's not that everyone has become a glutton. It's not that everyone is less disciplined than they were in the past. It's just there's a general trend going on. Yet we're not looking at that general trend because we can look at these other things and say, well, that's terrible. You know, people shouldn't be sitting there playing video games all, all, all day long. So let's just have them exercise and we'll solve the problem. But that doesn't really solve the problem. And I see this as a corollary when it comes to the church. There's some big problems, and we can look at those problems and say, here's the problem. There's narcissistic pastors. There's abusive church systems and structures. There's unfriendly, uh, money-grabbing, terrible church organizations. There's theology that doesn't seem to represent what I believe the Bible is about. And let's just deal with those things. And if we deal with those things, the church will grow. Well, it won't. And in fact, we have more church growth experts than ever. We have more, more church expressions than ever. We have more church diversity than ever in any time in human existence. And the church is still declining. So what is happening? So I'm going into a deep dive here. Some people are going to be bored with this. They have already turned this off. Some of you might be upset with me. Hear me clearly. I'm not trying to discount the fact that churches need to be reformed. It's important. We, I believe in justice. I believe in removing leaders from positions of power who are harmful to others and to themselves. I believe in facilitating healthier expressions of the body of Christ. But even so, I want to talk about some trends that are happening. And these trends, I believe, are going to continue. And as a result, the church is going to decline, regardless if we get our house in order, when it comes to issues like bad theology, uh, bad church leaders, bad church governance. So here's two trends I want to look at. And I've actually looked at both of these trends in my two books. My first book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, and my latest book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. So the first trend I want to look at is a trend that I dealt with in the beginning of my first book, The Community of God. And if I were to write that book again today, I would change it because I think I was a little naive in what I brought to the table. In fact, my research on technology would greatly influence 
some of the observations I made on why churches are declining and church attendance is declining. So I want to give you two sides of this. Uh, there are two, uh, at least there's other reasons, but here's two of the reasons I would give for why the church is declining, church attendance is declining, and why it's going to continue to, to decline. First, I want to look at a societal progression, a cultural progression, just the general progression of humans on this planet and how they view community and how they view individualism. And secondly, I want to look at some technological advancements that are radically changing how we abide together. So first, let's look at some of these societal things. Let's go into a deep dive. Uh, I, I'm not going to try to make this super interesting. I'm hoping the meat the, of what I'm talking about will spur a conversation in you. I'm hoping that if I throw enough things out here, it'll facilitate a deeper, more complex conversation than just the reason people don't go to church is the church is full of bad people. So here's the first one, uh, the concept of the societal and cultural changes. And I want to look at this generationally. Let's look at first that greatest generation. How's that for a label, by the way? You call some generation the greatest generation. Where, where do we all go from there? Well, I don't know if it's the greatest generation, but we're talking about that World War II generation, the generation before the boomers. And, and if you look at that generation, they are basically the last generation in America that had a strong sense of a communal identity where they define themselves in many ways more about the group and group identification than they did with individual rights and individual needs. And that's expressed in many ways. For instance, even the concept of the war effort and nationalism, uh, people uh, volunteering uh, to, to go into military service, everyone working collectively for the common good to defeat Nazism or fascism or just to defeat the enemy, a strong sense of nationalism. And by the way, I'm not saying the things that I'm going to look at here, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. They're just cultural things that existed, cultural ways that we abided together that have changed radically in the last few decades and the last few generations. Um, there's strengths and weaknesses to any of these expressions. But you see this communal identity express itself even coming out of World War II. Uh, you see the growth of service-oriented uh, uh, nonprofits and organizations. You see organizations like the Elks and the Kiwanis and uh, uh, other organizations like the PTA and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and even the rise of, of strong unions. All of these collective concepts of uh, we are a group that's larger than the individual parts and the desire to be a part of these organizations for my children all to be involved uh, in Boy Scouts, to have a collective idea of what it means to be a boy or Girl Scouts, a collective idea of what it means to be a girl, uh, the service organizations that defined ourselves, gave us meaning. You know, you drive into town and you see the service organizations that this city represents and you see that if you're going to be in, in politics, if you're going to be uh, in any kind of uh, industry that has any kind of public presence, you need to be a part of these larger communal expressions. You also see during this time that Christians at this time define themselves much more by the group than the individual needs. Uh, one example of that uh, could even be denominational affiliation. Uh, it was important to define yourself by the larger group. People took pride in being 
a, a, a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or Catholic or wh- whatever group they were in, group identification and denominational identification mattered. You know, First Baptists and Second Baptists, and people wanted at some level to be known by these larger expressions. One example of this uh, that really, I think probably with this generation, after this generation, this has died out, but with the World War II generation and before, people would regularly do something like this. They would buy a family grave plot uh, next to their church. So their grandparents went to that church, they go to that church, their kids go to the church, and so they have a family a grave plot. This is where all the people in my family are going to be buried. Now, just imagine that concept, the concept of a church that I'm so much invested in this church that I'm guaranteeing you that when I die, I'm going to be a member of this church. It's not going to be awkward. If these were people who were changing churches all the time and moving to different places and, and kind of going at the whim of their own needs, you don't buy a grave plot next to the church. And that's why uh, modern churches almost exclusively, there might be a, there's a few exceptions maybe out there, but we don't do this. We don't have a, not only going to this church, but do you want to be buried next to this church with the, the graveyard or the cemetery that's next to us? We don't do that because people have a different conception of the church. If anything would show you the radical nature of the shift of the conception of the church and how people relate to the church and how a community relates to the church, it would be those grave plots, family grave plots next to a church where great-grandpa and great-grandma and grandma and grandpa and we and our kids and our grandkids, we all at some level call this our home church, and there's the gravesite to prove it. We have the concept of, of new cities and new towns being developed. People took their identity from a shared church experience. Uh, what was first built? Maybe the saloon, <laughs> the brothel, uh, maybe a place to buy equipment. But soon, one of the first things built in any new town as westward expansion occurred, what was built? A chapel, a church, some sort of religious expression that everyone could unite around and identify their community as valuing the church and having value in being a part of the church. Now, to be clear, there were a lot of weaknesses in this kind of communal, we all want to be identified as this is what it means to be an American, and this is what it means to be a citizen in this city, and this is what it means to be a Presbyterian and a Baptist, and and we're all a part of the PTA, and we're all a part of the Kiwanis, and we're all a part of the Elks, and the weakness of this kind of, we define ourselves by the dominant group, the majority instead of the individual, is oppression, right? If you're someone who's in a minority group, if you're someone that doesn't fit into that dominant narrative, then there's no voice for you. In fact, individuality, self-expression, diversity is, is what? It's suppressed for the purpose of that dominant uh, collective ideology. And who controls the dominant collective ideology? Those in positions of power. So it's white males, at least in the American context. It's the wealthy, it's the rich, the influential, those in positions of power and authority, those who have voice. The voiceless, they don't get as much say. So the voiceless either have to confirm to the dominant narrative of the time, or they're seen as outcasts, right? 
and they do not fit into the culture, the neighborhood, the church, the religion, the faith. But this is how people express themselves, not just in the church, but in all kinds of expressions. There was the concept of the collective being more important, being defined by the community than our own individual wants and needs. Well, this all radically changed with boomers. And what we see with boomers uh, during that time, this great baby boom, is we have the cultural revolution and the sexual revolution. And what came out of those revolutions, the concept of the individual, right? Uh, Individual desires, uh, self-expression, self-gratification, self-help and self-fulfillment, a value for diversity. And again, this isn't a decline of things. This is just something different. There's tremendous strength in valuing diversity, in raising up oppressed voices, in valuing women's voices uh, as much as men's voices, or at least a little bit more, uh, valuing, uh, valuing other uh, races or ethnicities in a group that don't have a strong of a voice within that community, valuing and celebrating that diversity, understanding that each person at some level should have some voice within the larger body, or that the larger expression at some level should at least meet some of the needs or desires or wants of every person within that community. So we see with boomers this expression of self-expression, self-gratification, self-help, and self-fulfillment. There's a downplaying in denominations, right? It's less about the denomination I'm in. It's more about what uh, my group believes and about the uniqueness of our church. It's less about being at a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church or a Methodist church. It's more about how does this church meet my needs. And there's a progression in all these things, but you see the progression with each generation. There's a rise in non-denominational churches, a rise more around the individual leader than just the concept of I'm a Presbyterian. Now it's more about the individual who leads that church and how my individual needs are met. Here's some words that rise up in reaching the boomer generation. Seeker-sensitive churches. Uh, Churches that are rooted around felt needs. We see this with Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. The, The concept of churches that let's find out what people's felt needs are. And then let's gear the church towards those felt needs. Or let's gear the church around seekers and what they need, what they want, what they desire for their own personal self-fulfillment. And so you see less of the concept of the collective and more concept of individual needs. Why do I go to this church? Because it meets my needs. It meets my needs as a parent. It, it has a great children's ministry for my kids. It has all the resources I need. It has all the programs I need. There's a rise in programs to meet each person's need. And there's more programs, and there's more ministry, and there's more books, and there's more writings, all geared towards the individual needs. That's where Christian self-help rises up and Christian self-fulfillment rises up. So along with the concept of diverse voices being expressed and marginalized voices being expressed, there's also just this general trend that people begin to see the church more as a place to meet their individual needs. And as much as the church meets their individual needs, they align with that church. And the moment the church stops meeting those individual needs, they no longer attend, or they go somewhere else that meets their individualistic needs. 
Now, I believe this progression is just continuing down the generations. Because one of the things you'll find, and I see this online, that some people that were raised in those environments, they had boomer parents and they were the kids, the Generation X, that went to church and they went to churches that had all kinds of resources. They had a slide in their children's ministry. They had the best graphics. They had the most inter interesting music and songs and curriculum and Things were relevant and excited and happy, and it was a whole culture of meeting your needs. That many people who were immersed in that environment came out of that environment still dissatisfied. It's not enough. It didn't meet their needs. And as a result, they're following that progression. And the progression is, uh, I don't even need the church to meet my needs. I'd give an example of this. He's not a millennial. Uh, he's an Xer, but uh, Donald Miller, I, I think gave a great representation of this. Donald Miller used to be very much about religious things and Christian things, and he, he just kind of left that and became a consultant. And I can understand that. He probably just got tired of getting attacked by Christians. And so now he's a consultant on branding. And so, you know, he needs to do what he needs to do. But there was a time when he was speaking more to the church and more to how the church can be relevant. But I saw this progression in Donald Miller where he gave a post, and he's the author of Blue Like Jazz. That's probably where he's most well-known. But he gave this post talking about why the church didn't interest him. And he said, the church doesn't interest me basically because I don't like singing and uh, I can gain fulfillment somewhere else. He said, I can gain more fulfillment doing my work, hanging out with my friends and going on a walk with them or just doing my job. And because of that, the church just doesn't show much interest to me. And I realized that he was the perfect example of the natural progression of seeing church as a place where primarily my individual needs get met. Because the reality, that's true. I can have a better time just hanging out with my wife and my close friends than hanging out with difficult people in a church. If I were to just pick what's easier, I wouldn't go to church. If I were to just purely get up every Sunday and make my next decision based on what led to my greatest immediate self-fulfillment, I'd stay in bed. I'd sleep in longer. I'd go out and have some fun with our kids, go on a hike. I like going on hikes. I can go on a hike and never have anyone attack me about my theology or tell me I'm a lousy pastor. Or It's just my kids and my family. They love me. and We can have a great time. We can pack a lunch. We can see a beautiful view be with God. I can also just hide out with these podcasts and present what I want and interact as much or as little as I want to, but I can't do that when it comes to gathering in a church context. But to me, what I see is a natural progression, that we're going down the natural progression of church becoming more and more about meeting my individual needs. This is a problem. This trend is continuing, and how I know it's not just about the church is we're seeing the same trend with every other service organization. We're seeing service organizations like the PTA, like the Elks and the Kiwanis and the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, and any collective organization, we're seeing those organizations all decline. The concept of gathering together for a larger conception of oneself is declining in every area. And the church is declining right along with every one of those institutions and organizations, even uh, along with unions that are declining. In fact, it's fascinating. They've seen this with millionaires and billionaires. Old-time millionaires and billionaires, they would take their money and they would donate it to established community causes, uh, to the opera, to the, the museums, the established uh, community 
things that identified this as a community, identified us as a collective whole. We're proud of our museum. We're proud of our arts. We're proud of these established historic community organizations. Well, new millionaires and billionaires, they started creating their own organizations based on their own pet interest. And uh, they kind of grew tired of those old and staid ways. They created their new, different, kind of unique to the things that I'm interested in kinds of donating of money. That's the same expression of our donations even becoming more about the individual needs and desires versus the collective needs. This is only going to progress, and this is just the first part for societal and cultural. And again, this is a long podcast, but I think these are important things to think on. And even if you disagree with me on some of my conclusions, I think you can see some of these trends. We are moving more and more to individualistic focus lives. We don't define ourselves by the collective. We don't buy the grave plot next to the church. Even if we love that church, we are positioned more and more for individualistic needs. The church is much more about how does it meet my needs, my marriage, my kids, my stage in life. And as much as it meets those things, we are more comfortable identifying with those communities. That is a cultural trend towards the individual that is happening throughout society. And because it's happening throughout society, it's not going to change. The church is going to continue to decline. Or at least the expression that we see with gathering together with a collective concept of Christianity and identity is going to continue to decline as we become more individualistic in how we view ourselves and our relationship with God. My book, uh, The Community of God, deals with all those issues, big issues, then how do we define the church? How do we define gathering together? I think this is going to be one of the primary issues as we move forward. It's not just you should go to church because it's good for you. Why do we gather in community? And what will the church look like in a very individualistic society? Because the thing is, we tried to make all these felt needs churches, and it's not enough. We still have so many individualistic needs, it's not enough. You, We tried as much as we could to make something meet exactly someone's need and and exactly what they want, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for them, and it wasn't enough for their children. So we're moving to the next progression. I'm going to abide in church. I'm going to abide with Christ as much as it meets my mental, physical, social, societal expectations, my personal needs. As much as it meets those personal needs, I'm going to engage it. The moment it doesn't, I'm no longer going to be a part of it. So that's the first side. Yes, I have more. I don't know if it's another half an hour more, but here's the other side. And this is where I've kind of expanded my views based on my research for my latest book, uh, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Another primary reason the church is declining is because of technological reasons. Because of our technology, our media, the internet, and social media, there are technological progressions that are radically influencing why we no longer gather the way we used to gather. Now, let's just look at this again historically uh, as a progression. Why did people gather in a church community before the car? Just think about that. Before the car was invented, why did people gather in church communities? Well, my argument, it wasn't just because they were more righteous, they understood the Bible better, they were just better followers of Christ. I believe one of the main reasons people gathered in church communities is because they lacked community where they were. Before the car, 
How many people could you interact with on a weekly or a monthly basis? Just think about that. Let's see, you've moved west. You're in a small town somewhere, some small city in some state, you know, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho. I don't know where you are. But just imagine that you're in this small town and you don't have a car. Now, you maybe have a wagon you can hitch up, but you're probably not going to do that very often. So during the week, how many people are you going to interact with? What would be your social network? Because social networks existed before the internet, right? So what is the social network of someone before the car arrived? Well, it's you and your family. And it's basically the people who live within walking distance. It's your neighbors, probably some extended family who live within walking distance, and probably the other big place besides maybe the school and the schoolyard or some community events that you might go to, it would be the church. The church would be one of the primary places that you had community, just the ability to talk with someone, to interact, to share your problems, to get advice, to get information. Before the car, our access to people was limited. And one of the arguments I make in posting pieces, one of the reasons we tried to get along with people or one of the reasons that we tried to reconcile is because we had to. Because if I broke relationship with my neighbor, there's no one else to connect with. There's no online community that I can talk to. There's no Facebook posts or Instagram posts or Twitter posts that I can use to supplement my lack of personal in-person communi- community. Instead, I'm just alone. So the church played this huge, vital role in people uh, finding community, finding relationships. In our modern era, that is no longer needed. People don't need to gather in a church to find community. It's interesting that the church actually grew quite a bit uh, when you get, um, basically, after World War II, Uh, that generation begins to move out to the suburbs, right? Well, think about it. They had these strong family tie relationships uh, where they were in the big city. They move out to the suburbs, and they don't have as much connection, uh, and they don't have the internet to find connections. So what do they do? They begin to form these civic organizations to give them community and to give them connection. So the church becomes an important thing. Uh, Uh, The Elks become an important thing. PTAs become an important thing because this is a way to form community. We don't need that anymore. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of opportunities for social networks. We can gain communities uh, in any context, right? We can just hang out online with people who have very specific views about Star Wars or Star Trek or very specific word, you know, views about the Marvel Universe or very specific views about uh, tr- the Trinity or predestination or theology. We can gather with so many people that the church is less important when it comes to having community, to have relationship. That is not going to change. People are finding community and relationship in places that make it so they don't have to leave their house. It also makes it so they don't have to go through a conflict. One of the reasons people went through conflicts in churches is because they had to, because there's only two churches in town. I got to find a way to make this work. Now they don't have to. Now if a conflict arises, they get upset, they don't like it, they can just exist in another format. They can exist in another place. They can exist online. That is not going away. Regardless of how healthy the church becomes, regardless of how great the leaders become, 
people don't need the church for general relationships and community. And what you're finding actually in churches is the people who have healthy relationships or who can form healthy relationships through their work, uh, through online things, through sports. Think about how sports and youth sports become its own culture. People who can form those kinds of relationships don't need the church. And so often the people who are going to the church are people who are lacking healthy relationships. They don't have family relationships. They don't have work relationships. Uh, They're dealing with mental health, mental issues, uh, poverty issues, issues that have isolated them from basic helps and supports, addictions. And so you have people coming to the church just desperate for relationship and community, while the healthy people or the people who already have healthy community are no longer there. So you have a bunch of needy people gathering, trying to get each other to meet each other's needs, while people who have lots to give are no longer coming because they no longer need to be there in order for their needs to be met. That's one of the key aspects of what technology has done. Another key aspect is that uh, we must realize this reality that we have way more entertainment options than ever before. And I know people say, well, the church isn't entertainment, but one of the issues with uh, seeker-sensitive churches Uh, with felt needs churches, with the Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, you know, we do everything well churches, is the idea that people could come and really see something special, like, wow, we get to hear this great music, and we get to hear this great presentation, and and feel like we're a part of something big, and it might not be Disney, but it's kind of cool, we got, this is pretty good entertainment, this is a pretty good environment. Well, people can find tremendous entertainment anywhere now. Uh, We don't even have to go to the movie theater to see movies anymore, right? We have everything coming into our house. We have the ability to have the best music. We can stream any song on the planet. We can watch any video we want to watch. We can listen to any sermon we want to listen to. We have options of podcast upon podcast. For instance, you know, I'm one of a million podcasts, right? So the allegiance of coming to church for this collective experience, this this shared entertainment experience, this need for community, this is fading. I think about the tent meetings. You know, they used to have tent meetings where people would, for a whole week, they'd be at a tent meetings. People still do this now, but they're not real tent meetings, right? They just move all the gear from the church outside and they meet in a tent. But tent meetings were originally where people would take the horse and they'd put everything in it and they'd go, you know, an hour, two hours in a direction and they would camp out at a place. And for a whole week or two weeks, They just spend time worshiping God, listening to an evangelist, focusing their entire intentions upon Jesus or upon this revival environment. Well, that's gone. There are too many entertainment options now to do that. There's too many places to go. I can use my money to get some tickets to fly somewhere. I got my car that I can go anywhere to have some really nice vacations, some really nice food, some really nice entertainment. And even if I do go to the tent meeting, I can't fully be present because I got my phone to interact with the rest of the world. To put everything aside and just to focus in on one thing, those days are gone. So this is the big argument. And I hope you understand where I'm getting at with this. I am not saying that we shouldn't fight against injustices. I'm not saying we shouldn't call out narcissistic pastors. I'm not saying that we shouldn't radically change uh, the way churches are structured, the way pastors preach, uh, the way we accept or express our theology. But there is a bigger problem than corrupt pastors and bad churches. 
societally, we are becoming more and more individualistic, defining the individual over the community. That's not what the Bible does. The Old Testament and New Testament is as much focused on community as it is on the individual. In fact, God's promise to Abraham is that he would make him into a people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Christ went to the cross for the purpose of fulfilling that promise that God gave to Abraham. We become followers of Christ, not just so we can be saved and go to heaven and have our individual needs met. We actually become followers of Christ so that we can participate in God's promise to Abraham, so that we can become a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. It's always community and the individual. Community never takes a second step. It's not get my personal life right and then deal with the community. God always deals with us as individuals and within a community. It's kind of Trinitarian in that sense, that the Father, Son, and and Spirit are one, but they are also three persons, that the, the one is always as important as the three persons, and the three persons are always as important as the one. The community of God is always as important as the individuals. My individual faith has no meaning outside the community, and the community has no meaning outside of my individual faith. Sadly, we are moving slowly or even quickly down a line where we define faith and spirituality almost entirely in individualistic terms. And even when we tell people to be a part of community, we use individualistic motivators. Come to church so you'll grow in your faith. Go to the Bible studies so you'll be a better person. Uh, Be a part of this larger expression so you can have a better marriage. I'm here to tell you that sometimes in community, it doesn't benefit you at all, but it benefits the mission of God on earth. That you're called to be in community, not for your benefits, but for the needs of others. You're called to go to that Bible study, not for your benefits, but for the benefit of the person who's struggling with mental illness, for the person who's struggling with a divorce, for the person who's struggling with addiction. And it might not serve you at all to serve them, but it's what you've been called to do. So we have that progression of individualism. We also have the progression of technology, that we have more access to social networks than ever before. And so we we care less about the social networks we could form with in-person communication in a local body of Christ. And guess what? There's too many entertainment options for the church to ever be impressive enough for us to give our best energy towards it uh, when it comes to entertainment value or social value. These are the bigger issues. So we're going to need a theology of the church. That's why I wrote my first book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. So We need to have a theology of gathering that exists regardless of what comes. Because I do believe the church is going to continue to decline. And I believe the only reason we will gather in healthy Christian community is because of a sincere conviction that we are called to community. And that community is how God advances the purposes of his kingdom, that it's not good for us to be alone. And we may have to redefine what community looks like, and it might be far more diverse than we ever realized, but we're going to have to contend for community because we have a culture that will not contend for community. Contend for individual expression, contend for diversity, contend for acceptance, sure. But to contend for a concept of a greater we than I That's something that's declining. And we're also going to have to find a way uh, to gather in local community through conflicts, through trials, through boredom, because if we don't, 
uh, the availability of our internet communications and communities uh, will always be more attractive. We're going to have to figure out how to abide with people through conflict, and that's why posting peace, why social media divides us, has been written. So I just want to throw this out here. Lots to talk about. I know I went through some of this rapid fire, so I'm not able to nuance all of it. I'm sure I said some things that don't quite work. But I, I just think this is important. I really believe a lot of our conversations are just about the wrong things. We're going to sell books about you know, what churches should do better, and we're going to have series and podcasts about bad pastors and bad churches, and should we do that? Sure. But I want to let you know that even if we get those things in order, the church is still not going to grow. I know this to be true. I've been around pastors, and regardless of how they structure their churches, whether they're people of great integrity or not so much integrity, uh, the church is declining. And most church growth is transferred growth, and it's often just from smaller churches to larger churches. That's not a long-term solution for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Can God make a way? Can God do a miracle? Is God bigger and better than anything I could ever imagine? You bet. And I hope and pray that I'm just wrong and the church will grow in vitality and strength in numbers. But I think we need to be prepared for what is happening and structure our lives accordingly. All right. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. If you want more information, you can go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. You can pick up either of those books that talk more in-depthly about the topics I'm dealing with. If you like what I'm doing here, if you see it has value, please let me know. Please share the podcast. Please subscribe. Uh, find a way to give me some insight that, hey, you're listening and you think this voice needs to be uh, within you know the myriad of voices that we find online. Okay, love you guys. I will see you next week. Nothing in this world.